This hot, this the spot, there it is, pod.com. We're interviewing the best comedians, so tune in quick and get your ears receiving them. We're talking about life and life to stream right to you from the microphone right to your home, dude. Side note, this might get embarrassing, but no, don't sweat, yo, because there it is. Welcome to the There It Is Podcast, a comedy podcast to help you find your inspiration. I'm your host, Jason Farr. Let's do this. We have an old friend on the podcast. I met her, around, oh, it has to be over 20 years at this point. I don't know, something like that. We went to college together. It's Alrinthia Carter and... Like I said, we knew each other in college, and years go by, and she finds her way in Greenville, South Carolina, where we reconvene our friendship at the Alchemy Comedy Theater, and uh, have a great time hanging out together there and learning improv together there. And we have a really fun chat today about her journey in improv. It's been really fascinating. We also talk a little bit about photography. Why don't we just get right to it? Here's my chat with Alrinthia Carter. I kind of feel like this, when it's all over, is going to feel like the blip in the MCU. You know, like (laughs) people are going to come back and it was like, well, I was doing a bunch of stuff. And other people are going to be like, well, I was dead. You know, um, I was not doing anything. It was basically like I was gone for this whole time and it felt like five years. And trying to figure out how to physically move around a stage is going to be weird for me. Yeah. I'm going to get winded real easily because, you know, I'm not walking anywhere. I I know. (laughs) Like, I was doing, I was doing, like, three, two, three shows a week, you know, all really physical. And then it was just, like, it stopped. I imagine there are going to be a lot of talking head scenes when it comes back to stage improv. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we're there again. There'll be a lot of people just standing there because we've all forgotten how to act with our whole body <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and not just our face. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I, I, I mean, I joke, but I think there, there will be a lot of like people saying tag out so-and-so and it's like, oh yeah, I could just do it. I don't have to say it out loud. I could just walk out. Right. <laughs> um, I am entering the stage now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just want listeners to know if they don't already from the description. You and I go way back. We go back to yeah. Winthrop University. Yeah. You were very involved at Winthrop, and uh, y- you have continued that trend all throughout your life um, in different capacities and different ways. And it's, I think, one of, the, one of the things that's inspiring about you that I admire, and I think everyone admires about you. When you were in college, I've never had this chance to ask somebody this on the podcast. When you were in college, I know that you weren't doing improv comedy. I know there wasn't <laughs> that wasn't going on for you in college. But were you thinking about comedy at all? Were you ever like, I would do that if I could? Well, not so much me doing it myself. I mean, I, you know, I was on the programming board, DSU, for basically the whole time. Right. I was there and I worked with comics. You know, we booked them and I got to know them and learned what writers were Mm -hmm. and, 
you know, so I knew comedians and I knew how to work with them, but I never really thought about, you know, me actually doing it myself. Right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you, I knew that you were doing a lot of things with the entertainment going on there, but I, I never knew if you yourself were, uh, were ever like, gosh, that would be fun. But I mean, how do you even, that's usually the answer is people are like, yeah, would I thought when I was in college, it would be fun. But uh, didn't know how to get into it. But there, we didn't have an improv troupe on campus while we were there. So yeah, I don't think we did. Yeah, we we Theater ninety nine came a couple of times and performed uh, while we were there, and mm-hmm. uh, 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 or the have nots is what they were going by at the time. And yeah, um, we all everyone knew about whose lines it anyway. But that was. It that was the exposure. That was the extent of the exposure to improv comedy when I was. Uh, well, I did have a, a class at you know one point, an yeah, acting, an acting class that was an improv class. But other than that, no real exposure to improv. Yeah, I mean, I would say the have-nots, and I've told them this in person that they were my first time seeing improv ever. Wow. You know, and you know it was. And it's weird. It's like a, it's a full circle moment when you yeah. get to when you're not 19 anymore <laughs> and you get to see, you know, those people again. You're like, you know, when I was 19, I thought that you guys were gods up there, you know, <laughs> and they still are. But they it's like, are, yeah, I'm up there with them, you know. Right. So. Yeah. What is what does that feel like? I mean, I've I've experienced it with a couple of people seeing uh, seeing people them as well. I mean, I had that. Exp- I didn't actually see them in college. I just knew about them, um, but I adore them. I think they're they're all really talented. And then I got to be in scenes with them, and that is surreal. And I've had experiences that with other people um, as well. What was that like for you to? To see them like as these gods, <laughs> untouchable gods, and now you're on stage tagging them out in the scene, literally touching them. Yeah, I mean it's it's kind of similar to you know when you first so you join your first improv company, I guess. You know when I first joined Alchemy is, you know when I was watching shows, I would see Harrison and Jason and Meg and and Shivani and all those people, and it's like, wait, like this like they're doing the same thing. <laughs> that I'm learning in Improv 101. Like, that can't be true. <laughs> and, you know, you. I think it happens. You, you get to that point where you're on the same stage and you don't even realize it, that mm-hmm. it's happened, until it's like you're there mm-hmm. and you're playing with them and you're tagging them out. And you're like, the power that has to tag someone out of a scene where before you're like, oh, I would never be I able to never. play. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like they obviously know what they're doing they don't need my input in this scene <laughs> right <laughs> absolutely yeah i mean that's i think that's the transition is that you when you realize that you have equal kind of real estate on the stage as much as your hero does i think that makes all the difference for sure and i've definitely heard a lot of people talk about when they were in experiences like that, playing with somebody that they were looking up to, and then they realize, oh, they just want me to be decisive on stage. They're not expecting me to come in here and and hit a home run. 
And so I, like, I've got to have the funniest thing right, right, right out the gate or out of pocket. That's just not how it works. <laughs> they just want yeah. you to pay attention and make a decision so that it helps the scene. <laughs> move yeah. And you, and you could get, I mean, and every now and then you'll get somebody who really wants you to put yourself out there and get what you need out of the scene. Mm-hmm. You know, I was the first time I played in, in LA, which was, you know, weird for me that I'm playing, I'm playing in Los Angeles. Um, I was playing with uh, Jillian uh, Bellinger and she like pushed me out on the stage. Cause I was like hesitating and she was like, get out there. And I needed that, mm-hmm. you know? So. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've heard, uh, um, I think, I'm sure you've seen this, that documentary, This Is It, the Michael Jackson concert video thing. And uh, Orianti was talking about, the guitarist, was yeah. talking about how she was kind of holding back at moments because it's his show. So she wasn't like trying to take the stage and really like go crazy on the guitar, even though she can. And he was like, no, like this is, do that. That is what you're supposed to do here. Like really take it and own this moment. And she was just like struck by that. But honestly, that's the only thing that makes sense. I mean, uh, people don't, people who are that good, uh, who rise to that occasion, the cream of the crop, as they say, they aren't trying to do bad work. And so, right. you know, they don't want to be standing up there watching bad work uh, happening next to them. They want good stuff, too. They want to be involved with good work. Uh, that's why they are theirs, because they've been involved with good work. So they, it's not that they are expecting you to uh, uh, nail it and just be amazing, but they are, ex- they are wanting to have fun, and they are when it's improv. And yeah. they... They want you to go for it because that's that's what good work is. Uh, it's not so much like how well crafted the line is; it's just how much you're going for it and, yeah. and making decisions and, and being bold with your choices. And they wouldn't have asked you if they didn't think that you were ready for that sort of thing, right? You no know? one ever asked you to do something that they don't think you can do, right? <laughs> yeah, no, no one has time on an improv stage. To help you, you know, figure it out. Like they know <laughs> that you've figured it out, yeah. And they want whatever you can bring, whatever you can specifically, specifically mm-hmm. can bring exactly. to the stage. Yeah, yeah. I've heard guitarists talk about that too. Um, other other musicians talk about like, yeah, this icon asked me to play, and I was like, oh, I don't know if I could do jazz that well. And it's like they they asked you to play. They want you to do what you do. So just yeah. go out there and do what you do. Yeah, Absolutely. it's uh, yeah, that's um, it's cool to see you on this side of it, um, where now you were that person to somebody who's in one one, you know, yeah. uh, whereas however many years ago when you started doing stuff at Alchemy, you were looking at all these other people's like, oh my gosh, they're the one, and of course you always look at them that way because I always look at the people who are like that for me, uh, that way. Uh, but uh, they had their own people that they were looking up to, yeah. Uh, and and it's um, it's a really it's like you're doing so much. It's why I was asking. That's why I wanted to have you on the podcast because you were at Alchemy and still are, 
and you have been doing a lot of big roles at Alchemy, Alchemy producer roles. Uh, what is also, uh, you had a title or you have a title there. What is it now? Uh, so I, my official title was I was the executive producer. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was like five, you know, actual jobs it contained in that. It just all just made sense, made sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've since retired mm-hmm. because I, you know, want to devote more time to learning about, about script writing. And mm-hmm. so now I call myself, you know, executive producer emeritus. Okay. Um, which sounds almost fancier, I feel. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I get to still, you know, get, uh, give my thoughts on things that are happening mm-hmm. and, all that but you know other people have taken what i've done and they're making it their own and of course right after i stopped you know covid happened right and so a lot of the new people who have replaced me haven't had a chance to really spread their wings yet but but they'll get that chance soon yeah Yeah. um and also you've been doing a lot of things outside of alchemy. You've gone to improv utopia. You've speaking of being bold and putting yourself out there. I mean, you've, you've every once in a while we would talk and you would do something that was completely frightening to you. (laughs) You would message like, I'm going to do this and I'm scared. And I would always be like, but you're going to rock at that. Like, why, why are you scared? It was always like stuff that you were saying. And I I mean, (laughs) I I understand your your hand waving it a little, but like uh, you know, because I do the same thing when people compliment me. But in all honesty, there are things that everyone, like Justine and I, were talking about it, and or, or Meg or whoever. Um, we're always like, "Oh, she's going to be great at that." That's such an obvious thing for her to do. When yeah. you put yourself out there like that and you are feeling like maybe nervous or scared or, or less confident, what do you do to get over those nerves and to get over that hump? Yeah, I think in the beginning, you know, this all kind of started as a journey with me wanting to do these like 40 things before I turned 40. Mm-hmm. And one of those things where it was play do uh, or perform improv with people that I don't know, that I've never met. Mm-hmm. And so that was one of the things. And I also, you know, I was, I've been kind of guided by Brian O'Connell, who has been kind of like that teacher who was like reaching across and saying, this is what I think you can do. This is where I have, you have the potential to be great. You should try to go to Improv Utopia. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of combined those two things. And it didn't, It I guess I didn't really, it didn't click for me where I was in that, I guess, process of, of, I guess, that growth process until I got there. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I am driving to Yosemite to go play improv with people. And I only knew like maybe one person, you know, before I got there. And I was like, this is freaking scary. But then when I got there, I was like, oh, these guys are just as big as dorks as I am. Like, (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we have I mean I think all improvisers have like that common base level of oh, like yeah, yeah. we're really just nerdy silly <laughs> people. Wherever you go, you found your people when you <laughs> if you're an improviser yeah. and you meet up with other improvisers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah sure. and I felt like I and I felt like I wasn't ready. You know, I wasn't on main stage. Um I've gotten used to call them main stage team, but at Alchemy, 
uh, flagship teams at that mm. point. And I was like, I'm ready for that. Mm. But am I? So I'm going to push myself to develop whatever skills I thought I needed to have to mm. be attractive to Haymaker and local legends and all-stars, you know? Uh-huh. So I was like, I, I have to like learn new things. And I felt at the time that I had gotten enough tools from Alchemy specifically to be like, okay, I'm going to take this and I'm going to build on it mm-hmm. and go to California and learn how people in California improvise. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just kind of started like a, I guess, how, what do you call it? A domino effect of where I was like, well, if I could do Los Angeles, mm-hmm. then I could go to Minnesota. That's fine. You know? So yeah, that's, that's basically how it is. I mean, you just kind of jump right in there and it's scary but I always tell myself, like, I I wouldn't be here if I wasn't supposed to be here. Right. And that is, like, I say it like a mantra. Even in the green room, I'm like, you were meant to be here. You have the skills to do this. Mm-hmm. You know, stop screwing around. Just get out there and play. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, uh, one of the things you mentioned, Brian O'Connell, who's been on the podcast a couple of times. And when I've taken a class of his or a workshop of his... Uh, he had this beautiful thing he would say if anyone ever started being hard of themselves if they were struggling with getting something. And he would say, no, 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 do not use this beautiful art form to criticize yourself or to beat yourself up. Mm-hmm. And I loved that he would say that because it is this great, wonderful thing that we can do and we can either engage it the way I feel like society has really taught us to engage it, which is from the perspective of perfection, which is yeah. uh, you're it's you're going to be chasing your tail there, um, or you can look at it as this freeing thing that gives you power and control. And I guess a lot of people don't necessarily talk about improv from a power and control point of view, but I just mean. Mm-hmm. You, it, it is that, though. You know, you're not supposed to be controlling other people. Right. But you do have more than you realize that you can take control of. Yeah. And you, and you have, I don't know, I guess when I first met him mm-hmm. and I took a workshop with him, I was like, this guy is insane. But I like it. Like, I've yeah. never <laughs> yeah. met anybody who put that much emotion into mm loving improv Mm -hmm. not even just emotions in their scene like he loves it Mm -hmm. and is like joyful about it Mm -hmm. and i'm like oh okay like i i think i kind of compare it to people who do yoga right like they're people who do yoga there's like the the perfect yoga person they don't sweat their yoga mat is like two (laughs) hundred dollars and they just do it and it's more about doing the yoga than actually feeling it Mm -hmm. whereas you go to like, you know, a homegrown yoga studio where the power may not always be working and you don't know if it's going to be hot or not. And people are wearing like T-shirts and sweating like pigs, <laughs> but you feel it. Right. Uh-huh, and so uh-huh. th- that's how I think that is the Brian O'Connell, I guess, model of improv <laughs> that I've bought into. And it's like, don't worry about being perfect or technical. Just get out there mm-hmm. and enjoy it. Right. I mean, and I can't wait until live improv comes back because like on stage, because live live theater is such an exciting thing. This comes to mind because 
when I've seen Brian do a one-person show, there was something so incredibly alive about it. And that yeah. is what I think theater is at its best. Yeah. It's like it's yeah. defying physics or something like that. Like, I don't know what it is. It's and like it's, this Nirvana feeling. Yeah. Yeah. You feel, yeah. you feel like, I mean, there's that feeling that you get right after you step off stage. Mm-hmm. And there, and that feeling is, I don't know what that is, but you feel like you can like lift a car at that moment. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I don't know if that's enlightenment or not, but it's it feels it, like that could be utopia, it. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, there it is. <laughs> no, but that is a moment. I, I, I kind of, I can't have a conversation, especially right after stand up. Like when I was really in a groove doing stand up in Greenville. As soon as you step off stage, um, for one, especially at Alchemy, if you you're walking down the middle of the room, so. Uh, you know, in that space, if you're doing stand-up or improv at Coffee yeah. Underground, you when you leave, you walk down the middle of the room. So there are people applauding <laughs> around you. <laughs> and there's something... So there's also that experience uh, that you're having when you're just stepping off stage after doing the thing uh, yeah. that that is opening up and being vulnerable and, and uh, just performing mm-hmm. uh, on top of that. And yeah, there's absolutely. this... It's a weird feeling that I, I, I can't put in the words. People just have to go do an open mic and, and get get there. <laughs> yeah, be comfortable with the bombing part or that you're not, you're not the funniest. Or I think the hardest part really is getting up there yeah. and doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then that moment afterwards, it is like a euphoria. It is like, a, um, I mean, of course, some people can let it go to their ego, but... Uh, it can also be really nurturing in a way. It can also like really recharge yeah. your batteries. Uh, that that feeling of stepping off your stage. It's like, oh, I did, mm-hmm. I did a thing. I really did this. And you're having yeah. that experience all over the place. Where are all the different places you've gone to perform comedy? Um, okay, so California. Um, and before COVID hit, I was actually supposed to go up to Minnesota. To Minneapolis mm-hmm. to perform in the um, in the Black and Funny Improv Festival. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then that that shut down, and yeah. so that was my first time. That was going to be my first time playing with them. And then mm-hmm. just virtually, I've gotten to play like with all over the world, basically, which is wild to me. Yeah. Because another one of my goals was, and there's this player. He's a veteran player, Jonathan Pitts. Mm-hmm. Um, he created the Chicago Improv Festival and all those great things. He was doing a global I- improv walkabout where oh, wow. he was just traveling around the world, like, staying in a country for like a couple of weeks and teaching classes and performing. And I was like, that's what I want to do. That's what I want to be on that path. And I didn't, I didn't realize this until recently that I've been, <laughs> I've been doing that the whole time. So virtually, I've been playing with people in, in um, God, what is the state? Arizona and California <laughs> mm-hmm. and Texas and Maryland and, and and you know, and it's like, wow, like this is this is wild. This yeah. is insane to me. I keep up with festivals for the podcast, and there are just so many all over the world, like way more than I realized that have yeah. uh, uh, 
I mean, I knew there were a lot of comedy ones, but I didn't know there were so many with improv involved. And uh, it's which it's a fun time, a festival. It can I know it can get pricey, but yeah. it's such a good time, um, and uh, would be great to to uh, go overseas somewhere to an international festival. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but you meet a lot of people. You're you're uh, seeing all these new ways that people perform. Uh, it's yeah. it's um, it's great. It's great, and I mean, in this year. I mean, until this year, or last year, I guess, I didn't know any other black improvisers other than you, yeah. I don't think. And so, and now yeah. I have, like, this whole group of people <laughs> yeah. that I've been playing with regularly, mm-hmm. and I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know how many there were in South Carolina. And then um, when I moved up here, I saw a bunch then I, when I was looking at all these festivals, you you find out about a lot of stuff going on in different areas when there are a lot of black comedy festivals um, yeah. and, and improv, you know, and it's like, oh, well, okay, I would love to go to those one day. Uh, some yeah. of them I found out right before COVID, so it was, you know. <laughs> but I knew about Black and Funny uh, a couple years ago. Yeah, it's great. It's great. Yeah. So I, hope they, I hope they come back soon. Me too. Uh, uh much love to them. I mean, it's uh, that's one of the sad things about festivals uh, right now is that you know it could be easy to say like, oh, they coming back, they coming back, but they don't know if the space they were in is going to be something they can do. You know, like right. And, and the pit just closed their main stage here in New York, and um, they they had a few festivals out yeah. of that space. So like, who knows what's going to happen? But um, Fingers crossed that people can uh, find spaces and, and, and restart these fests. Yeah, and find people to play in them and people will be comfortable to travel again. And, right. You know, that's that's what it's all about. Yeah, for sure. Um, you also have a lot of experience with photography. You've been doing that for a super long time. Have Were you doing that back in college or was that something that you started later? I started that in college. Mm-hmm. I, you know, decided to take a photography class because I, I love to take the pictures anyway. So it's like, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll learn how to do, how to, you know, do in a, a dark room. So I took it and the professor that I had said, you're good at this. I'm like, oh, okay, I'll just keep doing it then. <laughs> and I was like, I was taking pictures of people for like Mother's Day and Father's Day to mm-hmm. for gas money, basically. <laughs> and that's when I first started selling like photographs because mm-hmm. it's, it's just fancier i mean in 2002 it was fancier to have a photograph that someone developed yeah in a black room you know in a dark oh, room. yeah so <laughs> <laughs> um what professor did you have uh i had uh it was mark i don't remember his last name. i he... had mark too, okay. had mark I was, too? I was, yeah 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 that's what i was wondering he was very encouraging i think a lot of guys who took photography took it because they thought it'd be an easy a and there'd be around a lot of girls yeah. um but i i love photography so i was taking it seriously yeah <laughs> and i think that impressed him uh there and then he was like jason has this camera that's i think older than him i had to borrow my camera i had to yeah. borrow like my canon ae1 and then i bought one on ebay for like 90 dollars which to me at the time was like this is the most expensive thing that i own <laughs> i can't break it you know do you still develop <laughs> 
Not anymore. It's been about about ten years since I've last been in a in a dark room, mm-hmm. and I was you know I started kind of sending roles away. Like I was sending them to like Walmart because that mm. was the most affordable option, and then they stopped uh, developing yeah. roles yeah. in the store, and that's when I switched to digital. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, there's no. I am just a nerd, so I would want to, I would be that, uh, this is the most hipstery thing about me. I would want to develop, if I got into photography, which I would do, I would yeah. want to develop it because I enjoyed that process. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's at this point, it's sort of like, I don't know, how, do, how are you going to find the space to have it? You know, I mean, you have to have a lot of chemicals and just stuff. Yeah, and you have to the, the time to do it. The time, gosh. Um, <laughs> when it got to be more of, uh, you know, when you got away a little bit more from doing people's photos, uh, uh, you know, anniversary photos, and started doing art pieces, when yeah. was that for you? Because uh, I went to a few displays that you did uh, in in Greenville that were great. When did that? When did it become uh, a, a form of art? that you wanted to uh, yeah. present yourself in? I think it really started with ex- just exploring. Mm-hmm. Like I was just like the, the years after I graduated from college were just really hard for me emotionally. And I couldn't find a job and I didn't know what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And I would just go on these drives. And if you're in South Carolina, you can always find some sort of backcountry road to, to go down Mm -hmm. and I was like finding these houses and I was like that's really interesting and I would start taking pictures of them and just for myself and Mm -hmm. then people would see them and they're like oh that's really cool do you have any do you have any barns or they would ask like do you have any uh you know broken windows and I'm like no but I'll I'll see if I can find one and that is when things started growing and my first show was in Clemson. It was in a hair salon. Mm. Uh, and it was just like a small affair. My friends donated bottles of wine. And it was like the greatest thing. And then when I moved to Greenville, it took a couple of years for me to, I guess, get into the scene yeah. to be able to have a show up there. And mm-hmm. so that was a big deal um, for me as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, taking pictures of old houses and creepy things, I think it started as an emotional thing more as like a uh, a focus mm-hmm. and then it just became a focus yeah um we've got a, a piece of yours here so um you know oh, you're, nice. you're up in 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 new york um, yay have you noticed any sort of correlation to your photography and and improv i mean those i would imagine there's not too much overlap but maybe there's something that you have learned i mean sometimes when i guess when you're trying to take a photo of a house and some old house abandoned house and you're like oh can't go through here i'll improvise maybe there's that sort of a spirit yeah. of, of uh, or just pulling over on the side of a road randomly maybe that's is, is maybe there's overlap there but what have you noticed well you've got to be you know spontaneous that's the biggest thing but mm-hmm. I think that when I discover like a factory or a mill, something huge, Mm -hmm. it takes time to go through that and find what's beautiful in there, which often there isn't anything beautiful, but you have to kind of make it your own. And I kind of equate that to being on stage with a team and you are taking whatever that suggestion is Mm -hmm. and you are working through that suggestion 
together. If your yeah. team is in sync, you you can feel like their brains moving as, as well as yours mm-hmm. you know, dissecting whatever that suggestion is and how are we going to spread that suggestion over 20, 25 minutes and create something together. And I think that's the same as like going into a house who's, uh, that's very scary on the outside mm-hmm. and then finding like a beautiful mural or something inside and you have, but you have to take the time to do that. Wow, and yeah. I, that's, that, that's what I would say would be the, you know, the crossover, the Venn diagram, I guess. Nice. And what sort of philosophy have you developed from all of your experience, uh, all of your experiences, not just traveling for improv, but even photography? Uh, do you have a, a improv philosophy that you are developing or that you have already developed? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just you know, you're not going to, no one ever died from, you know, forgetting what beat that they're on. You know what I mean? The fun is in figuring out what you're doing and it's not going to kill you. It's scary, but it's not going to kill you. Now, taking pictures of scary buildings, that could kill you. <laughs> that could kill you. But you have <laughs> to know what you're doing and you have to know where to go. And you kind of build that instinct and you still, you build that instinct um, with improv, it's like, you know, kind of what you can do and where to go. And, you know, there's sometimes I'm like, what beat are we doing? Are this a group game? I still, you know, I'm not a technical player, I don't think. But <laughs> you go by feel and you mm-hmm. just you work it out. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, that's a really great point that I haven't, I haven't thought about before. But that is something really common in improv when people feel like, oh, I'm going to mess up. Yeah. Oh, I don't know what beat this is, or I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to mess up. And you feel that in their performance, and you feel that in their presence on stage when no one's going to die. No. <laughs> if they start the quote-unquote wrong scene now. I mean, there are actually forms that work that way <laughs> the way that I they love mistakenly did it yeah and those are fun <laughs> forms so just just do the thing um, yeah and in and, and, and i guess take care of yourself but you know when you let fear kind of take over and you have that fear that you're going to mess up when you're on stage uh-huh. that's you trying to take control of the scene and that's not how improv works and that's what i had to learn is i love having control i'm a capricorn I'm an Enneagram three. I'm an eldest kid. And so I like knowing where things are going to go. And and in order to really figure out improv for myself, I had to like let that go and not try to control the scene and not get mad when I give out an idea and someone's like, no, I'm going to change it to this. And like, oh, wait, I, I set that up. You're supposed to set it up how I wanted you to set it up <laughs> and that's not how it works and so and you 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 once you let that go you just it's open field running at that point that's absolutely true and i am a capricorn as well and i like things in in order i like order because it's easier yeah. <laughs> when i know where the spoons are in the drawer then it's yeah. easier and it and it doesn't clutter my brain but right. improv doesn't work that way. And that's kind of one of the things that's great about it. It's not, I'm not wrong. You're not wrong. Improv isn't wrong. It's yeah. just, this is how we're all mashing up together. And that's the good thing. 
that's the fun yeah. thing, you know. It's it's having a moment of saying like, okay, I guess we're just gonna do that scene now, you know. Like I can't, you can't change it. <laughs> what, right. Once it's starting, you can't be like, yeah. no, 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 we're supposed to do the scene with the nurse <laughs> at the chocolate factory. We're supposed to do that. Yeah. Now. Like you just the whiteboard in my brain. Yeah. <laughs> if there's like, a way to do improv wrong, it's that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's the say in the middle of someone else's scene. No, 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 no we're not supposed to be doing this right now. Um, right. <laughs> and who wants to play with that? Like who would yeah that would be no fun at all i mean i think it's the spontaneity is the thing that i think all improvisers know and love about improv stand-ups like structure maybe because they they come up with the jokes and this is how the jokes go and here's the set list and this is the order i'm doing it in and so it's you know easy to follow but there are a lot of great comics who don't do that (laughs) <laughs> yeah and i think like with stand-up is you know now that i've done stand-up a few times i do mm-hmm. it very rarely and usually mm-hmm. people like force me to do it but i think that <laughs> you go in with like the structure you have your jokes you have everything and it's just kind of like going on stage and doing a herald you have the structure in your head but you don't know how it's going to go and right. you don't know what what audiences are how they're going to react to your jokes or mm-hmm. if that's going to keep you go if that's going to take you from one bit to something you didn't even think about. I mean, I think about like Jerry Seinfeld, right? who is so conversational and so observational. It's like, he can say a bit and be like, oh, they like that. But wait, that's another thing I've been thinking about. Let's talk about that as well. <laughs> and I'm sure it's like more mathematical. It's not as he's very, I mean, he's one of the ones who is like, he's almost like uh, Sorkin. The way Aaron Sorkin writes, where it's like, this is the way it goes. Right. Someone was talking to him about his stand up, and he and they were like, "Oh, do you have fun when you're up there?" And he's like, "I'm working up there. (laughs) Like, (laughs) it is exhausting what he's doing because he is being like very technical about how he's approaching it and how he's executing it, and you know that sort of vibe." That can work in a well-oiled machine of a of an improv team where mm-hmm. they've just they're so comfortable with each other and so used to each other that they can rattle off the form uh, very specifically, but they're still finding the moments of freedom and spontaneity, mm-hmm. and that's yeah. the that's the point of it all, right? I mean, that's the beauty of improv is like finding those finding the spontaneity and running with that. Uh, right. it, it's that's that's the most fun show you'll see. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And do your own thing. Like you could be a storytelling comic or you can do you could be someone who's like, I don't know, Don Rickles is going to do like one liners, you know, <laughs> right, right? Like like Don Rickles. And I don't know, I'm 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 like, I guess Don Rickles and Jerry Seinfeld are two very different comics. Yeah. But they're both equally you know, loved for what mm-hmm. they do, you yeah. know? So. Yeah. And you have been taking classes at Second City and you just were already in the conservatory. Now you're in something else or did you just get in the conservatory? So I was taking t- uh, TV writing classes at the uh-huh. Second City. And that's when I started, you know, on that new kind of journey. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always had the goal since I started uh, in the improv game, I guess, is I 
I saw someone and I heard that they were they joined the Second City Conservatory, and I'm like, what is that? That sounds like the fanciest improv <laughs> you could possibly do. Yeah. And I've kept that in the back of my brain yeah. until now. And it, because of you know everything's virtual, I wouldn't have been able to do it otherwise. You usually have to move to Chicago yeah. or move to LA for a year to do that, and so now was the time to do it. And the funny thing is, once you get into the conservatory, you are doing you're improvising, but you're improvising in a totally different way because you are improvising with the goal of writing sketches. Mm. And so you it, it builds another muscle in your brain where you are going through that improv scene, which is on the other side, you're cataloging things mm. to write sketches later. And okay. it's very interesting to be someone who, I guess I've been in, doing uh, improvising for like eight years now, but it's a totally different game because mm-hmm. you have to like you you're you're writing with your right and left hand mm-hmm. in the second city style. So can you break down what that is for people who are listening and maybe they've never taken an improv class or or a sketch class? How do you improv with the explicit purpose of writing a sketch? Yeah, so so with Second City, you know, Second City is like I guess People know Second City from people that go to on SNL or, right. you know, people who end up like Steve yeah. Carell and all that, yeah. all, all these funny guys. Mm-hmm. And the way they do it is, you know, you get a suggestion, you're doing an improv scene just like any time else. But say you, you know, your suggestion was almond and you start talking about doing this thing about almond milk and you remember like the major beats of that scene where, you know, that'll take you to, to write a script, uh, excuse me, a sketch mm-hmm. about a store that only sells, like, cow milk, and that becomes the most famous thing, or that becomes the new thing, is, like, mm-hmm. everyone's on oat, almond, and whatever milk, but cow milk is revolutionary, <laughs> you know? Uh-huh. I just made that up. But it's kind of <laughs> like that, you know? Okay. So you, you, you're just taking those seeds that are built from there. So kind of like doing bits, you know, you consider that doing the improv is you're riffing, you're doing the bits and you're taking those bits and writing them down later on and being like, okay, uh, random milk store. There's gotta be something with that. And you come back to that. You write a sketch. Sometimes I've, I've, I think a lot of people have mentioned what Matt Besser said, Matt Besser of UCB said Mm -hmm. about uh, a really good improv scene could be written down as a sketch. And I think sometimes, and maybe some places do it this way, Yeah, uh, people think writing an improv, writing a sketch through doing improv is doing just a normal improv scene and then just trying to write that scene with uh, the structure of a sketch or something like that. But it's not yeah. necessarily that. That's one way to do it, maybe. But what you're describing is uh, maybe something that is tangential from the improv it's like oh i'm gonna take this little tidbit here Uh, right yeah okay yeah you're doing a to c it's just that your improv uh, scene is the a and your sketch is whatever ends up with c and that's how you know you go there and i think that's why people from second city um do so well obviously on saturday night live because they've been trained to be able to create sketches really quickly based on just ideas, you know? So, Yeah. That's one of the things people don't know 
so much about with uh, what it takes to get on TV. <laughs> you know, they'll think yeah. like, why isn't so-and-so on the cast? They're funny. And it's like, because they couldn't do the work, you know? I mean, like, it's, yeah. it is, uh, TV writing is intense, especially the stuff that's like SNL, where they are going to start pitching ideas on Monday, and then by Saturday, they have to do a live show. Yeah. Uh, come hell or high water, it's going on. So yeah. you got to have, you have to flush the, you got to come with the idea, flush, flush it out, and then write it. Um, write it and then act it out and then get, get the, 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 part, the costuming the, the costuming and, and the set design for it all ready by Saturday and then also if you're writing for a late night show you know monologue jokes you gotta have uh, be able to write a bunch a day you, you don't write yeah. 10 you write 50 to 100 to 200 in some cases uh, 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 mm-hmm. you know you have to be able to rattle them out and Mm-hmm. There are people who are, who do comedy who want to have those jobs, but they don't realize that that is the workload. Yeah, it's not even necessarily you, you know, even your jokes, your your actual joke as you write it may not end up on, you know, with Conan saying it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it starts getting filtered and filtered and filtered until it comes the best joke it can be. And that's right. what he that's what he says. But, mm-hmm. you know, it also helps you to really observe the world around you because, you know, if you're writing a late night packet, like I used the John Stewart packet that kind of blew up this year. Yeah. You know, they gave you one day, Yeah, you know, February 15th. We want to know what you can do with <laughs> the new cycle. Absolutely. And that day. Yeah. Everyone yeah. was writing and it took me like, you know, now that I've done <laughs> this, like my third time doing this, it, it's, it's a lot quicker. But before, it took me like an hour to come up with like one joke. You know? yeah. and I'm like, this is yeah. hard. <laughs> yeah, I think that was the thing that blew people's minds of like, what? what? It was almost like a how dare he sort of response. And I think people who work in the field were just like, yeah, okay, you're not getting hired. I'm not, yeah. They didn't say that online, but I think their attitude was like, okay, if that's how you feel. We're not going to be seeing you. <laughs> yeah. You have to be ready to jump right in into the trenches yeah, and, it's... and get it done. Absolutely. Oh, wow. Um, so what's next for you? What what uh, Do you have any ideas of what you want to try to conquer now? And, and obviously there are going to be some unknowns, uh, but what yeah. do you know? Um, well, I, you know, being a Capricorn, I always have to have a plan anyway. So, um, you know, it started with me just being curious about writing for late night and that grew into like, Oh, I really love, I love writing jokes. I love writing funny sketches for that. But I also really love, you know, the art that goes on behind the camera for shows, you know, and listening to podcasts about shows like the office or, you know, what have you, and getting into, like, what is the writer's room like is so fascinating to me because you're not creating a scene out of scratch. You're creating a whole show and a whole storyline, you know, from scratch that week and then moving to another storyline the next week. And it's kind of like this puzzle that I'm like, Mm -hmm. I love that. This is how my brain works. I want to be able to view the world and be inspired by what I know and create that. So, you know, it started with the late night writing, but it turned into pilot writing. And then it turned into, uh, you know, sitcom spec writing. And now I'm two years later and I'm fully invested 
and learning, you know, screenwriting and writing scripts and getting those scripts read and mm-hmm. being seen. And my goal is to be in a writer's room, you know, so, and it could be a late night writer's room. It could be a sitcom writer's room, but mm-hmm. I want to be at the table, mm-hmm. you know, creating that thing. So, yeah. Well, that's amazing. And it's inspiring hearing you say that. And it's another one of those, uh, one of those things that anyone who knows you who's hearing this is saying like, oh yeah, obviously she would be great at that. Uh, and of course she is going to be doing that. Uh, right. <laughs> Why yeah. wouldn't the universe give her that? She's good at it. Um, <laughs> you're, you're so great. Uh, it was so great catching up with you. It's now time to create something together. Okay. Uh, here and I, uh, it's been a while since I've done an improv scene. Maybe we could do an <laughs> improv scene to us and, and then like throw out ideas for a sketch that come from the improv scene. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Um, let's see. Let's get a suggestion. I'll just pull something up and get a random word and um, department. Department. Okay. Um, so you're in the wrong place. This is, you can't really bring, you know, animals here. You know, this is, I'm in the Sears. Well, I'm, my dog and I, and also my cat, and also my llama, we want matching leather jackets and you buy those at sears right yeah i mean we've got got leather jackets we've got washing machines we've got car engines Uh uh-huh but you know we don't really like to have live animals in the store it scares the children whoa whoa whoa. what children are coming to sears and they're scared of animals you know it could be a random little kid who's like i want to go to sears today because that just happens. Children oh, yeah, are walking sure. around the mall, and the kids like, "I want to see what a washing machine looks like." That's what kids are saying today. Yeah, yeah. Kids love machinery, and they, they don't machinery. like animals. They don't, like especially llamas. Oh, all right. Look. Yeah. I'm gonna tell you right now. If what you're saying is true, you've got some shitty kids who come oh. to Sears. Okay. Well, I mean. To be honest, most of you shitty people come to Sears anyway. So that is fine. Like, we are used to that. But we want to be welcoming to those people. And we don't want to scare their kids with llamas. I'm here. And you're not being welcoming to me. I mean, you can stay. You can stay as long as you want. But the llama and the dog and the cat, they have to go. So... And who puts a jacket on a cat? There's nothing scarier than a cat wearing clothes, in my opinion. It's a badass cat. Ugh. I don't. I don't see where you, I don't. That cat right there, that's sleeping in that sunbeam. That's that. That cat is is badass. Oh my god, it's terrifying to me. Look how look how comfortable he looks. Ugh. Yeah. Comfortable, badass. Ugh. It's a very alpha move, that cat. I guess. Well, it's alpha moves like that 
that scares little kids. And, you know, frankly, scaring me. Like, I don't like the way that llama is looking at me. Like, it loves me. I don't like it. What's wrong with that? I mean, look at at his eyes. You cannot trust something with kind eyes like that. Ridiculous. You're a robot. That's why you like appliances. Like all the shitty kids that come here, you're a robot. Yeah, we're robots, and we don't welcome kind-eyed llamas in Sears. This bullcrap, we're going to go to JCPenney's. They'll take you. Let's go. Anything can go there. Let's go. Anything goes in JCPenney's. All right, scene. (laughs) (laughs) There are a few scenes there. Uh, There's a few sketches that can happen off of that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I guess, like, what I'm thinking is, you know, we could. You're pitting Sears against J.C. Penney. Okay, There's yeah. There. There's something Turf there. Wars, um, yeah. An alpha cat. Yeah. Um, an alpha animals cat. in leather jackets makes me think of like they're on a gang together. There's an animal gang. Yeah, you're taking Animal Farm, <laughs> and you're taking them off the farm, and they've become like gangs <laughs> with leather jackets and like mm-hmm. the collars like this. and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> shitty kids. There's got to be something there when you say like, "Oh, the kids that come to your store are shitty." Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's got to be those kids. something there. I don't know what. <laughs> like serious kids, and then they, you know, I, I, I guess I have turf war on the brain. But you have the serious kids, and you have like the, the children's Penny. place. Oh, kids. okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, there's something else you were mentioning. Oh. The kids like seeing, so that was one thing that first struck me as funny. And I would say if this were a Herald, we'd have to see a second beat of the, or some sort of improv show. We'd have to see later in the show, the scene where kids don't want to go to a petting zoo. They want to go see a washing machine. Yeah. Like that's maybe the, the like clearest sketch in my head that I I could think of. Where I could see more of the beats of that. Yeah, or you, you know, an adverse of that could be, you know, a parent who wants to entertain his kids and can't afford a ticket to, like, the aquarium. And they take them to the mall. And it's like, <laughs> the world is open to you. Explore the mall, you know? <laughs> Let's go to the mall. There um, it is. <laughs> there it is. Oh, God. Uh, you said there it. it is. You said it. Uh, uh, um, <laughs> thanks so much for being on the podcast, all. Of course. This was so much fun. So much fun. Really enjoyed having her on. And we will put a pic of her photography that I mentioned that we have up here in Brooklyn in the bio but you can also go to her website southernfilter.com that's filter with a ph pretty hot and iltering i guess is what it stands for you can also check out her blog alrinthiacarter.com and you can follow her on twitter at alrinthia links in bio you can follow us on twitter instagram and facebook at there it is pod and you can follow me on twitter at jason far jokes and on instagram at jason far picks we have kyle gordon on next week until next time be good to each other
The music for the theme song was created by Neil Brooks. The rap was written and performed by Nick Acevedo. The logo for There It Is was created by Jeff Prater. The There It Is podcast is produced by Jason Farr. (laughs) 